Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Traveler's Art Podcast. I am absolutely thrilled and excited that you are joining me for what I consider to be one of the better stories I'll be telling on this podcast series. I just know it. it, it to me, it's a phenomenal adventure. It happened some time ago, but it has lived with me for a long period of my life. And then suddenly I forgot about it. And I recently was going through some photographs and kind of deciding what to scan and and ultimately what to get rid of. And I saw this photograph of my old 1978 VW camper van. And it just, all sorts of memories came back about that van, what I did in that van, who I saw and who I met and where I went. Yeah, I miss her. She was a really cool, cool vehicle. Anyway, I don't want to keep this introduction too long. I figured we could just jump into it. I will let you know that there was a change in how I recorded this. That is to say, I recorded a good portion of it, and then I had to stop and leave that recording location. And it's taken me some time to find, or in this case, create a better recording environment. And so you might see a slight change in the audio at some point, And that's just because I had to change locations. So worry not. It wasn't that I started editing things out. I actually was adding more to the story as in the outstanding pieces to that story. Well, without any further ado, let's go, uh, take this journey together. The name of this story is Sandy. Put the gas cap on after filling up the tank of my 1978 Volkswagen Westphalia. I opened the door, I got in and sat down, closed the door, put the van in gear, and drove down the road making sure I was going the correct direction. This van, this little dream machine, was adventure on wheels for me. My van was a full camper version. It was actually made in Germany and imported. Everything was in German. Instructions on the fridge, engine parts, even the the stove. Everything was completely analog. Levers moved cables to open vents. Windows were hand cranked down. There was no air conditioner. On hot days, you'd roll down the windows and use a spray bottle to cool off. It had a two burner stove, small little sink with a reservoir, food storage under the sink and stove. It had a small fridge that never really worked, but a block of ice could keep things cold, like cheeses and meats for a couple of days. It could sleep up to three adults or two adults and two kids. It really was a dream come true for me. I loved it like nothing else. When I would fill her up with fuel and then I'd fill my fuel cans, I could hear her say, where are we going? What adventures are we gonna go do? I'd wash her windshield as if I were washing a child's face. I'd always check her oil, making sure everything was good to go. 
I'd look at the battery terminals, check the belts, really take care of her. When I would park her, she would ask me to take care of her to make sure she was in a safe spot. She never complained, and if she did, it really had probable cause. One time we got stuck in some sand. I put her in neutral and let her idle. I could hear her say, I'm sorry, I'm just tired and I'm not strong enough to get us out of here. I closed the door, I told her, not to worry, it's all right. I'll just dig us out and we'll be on our happy way. Each day in my van, I learned and loved more about the world around me. I was not tethered to the confines of domestic life and all of its unfulfilled promises. I was free, free to live, free to experience, and free to be alive. Some say the open road is where they feel free, but for me it was really found in the places between the open road. These journeys were a balance of introspective driving to a place and then the experience of the place and people and then back on the road processing and assimilating that experience. When I would park, I'd pop the pop-up top on the van and start my little simple dinners. And I would hear her say, put up the sunshade on the windshield to keep the inside cool and give you some privacy. For me, Dinner was a formal affair if I could manage it. While the menu wasn't expansive, it was always delicious. When I first got the van, I went to a fabric store and picked a few pieces of natural linen. I had them cut and sewn to size to fit my table as a tablecloth. I also had some matching napkins made. I went to a secondhand store and picked up some really interesting and different knives and forks and spoons took them to a local polishing service and had them buffed to a brilliant polish. I would light candles, pop a bottle of wine, pour it into a real wine glass, sit down and enjoy my meal. Sometimes the door would be open and I could see the outside. I'd finish off my meal with a rum or a whiskey and a little sweet dessert. Often I would sip the last bit of whiskey or rum under the stars in the quiet. When I started her up, I'd get this light-hearted and feeling of fullness in my spirit as I put her in gear, let the clutch out, and would pull away. I called my VW van Sandy because the paint color was known as Desert Sand. I had restored her from basically raw metal all the way up. My adventures with Sandy were rich, diverse, and life-changing. I drove the four corners of the western United States, exploring, relaxing, and meeting amazing fellow travelers. I took my time driving and camping the California coast, surfing and hiking along the way. I drove Sandy to Yosemite, where I'd bring friends and family. On this trip, I was driving down the Baja Peninsula. I was fully stocked with food, water, rum, full tank of fuel, 15 gallons of spare fuel, and uh, essentially, the vitals were covered. As I was driving south, I was thinking about what happened a month ago. You see, a month prior, I was enjoying a cool evening at a beach in San Diego, California, 
I was standing next to a fire that was knocking the slightest chill back as I sipped a beer. I was spending time with a surf buddy, and I would call them my mentor of a pretty difficult break in the area. The stories were going back and forth with a few other guys. I didn't say much at that time. I was just listening to their adventures and got deeply inspired to do something similar. My surf buddy, whose name was Bruce, said he needed a beer and asked if I wanted one. I said, sure. He looked at me and said, let's go to the van and get one. He slid the door to his van open, grabbed a beer, popped the top off, handed it to me, and asked me if I could keep a secret. I paused. I then said, Bruce, that depends on the secret, and if it's something I have to keep a secret for legal reasons, I don't want to know that secret. Honestly, man, I have enough of that shit on my plate already. He said, I have a secret surf spot, and I think you're ready for it, but it has to be kept a secret. Well, if that's the secret, consider it safe with me. He opened the front door, went into the glove box, grabbed a pencil and a small notebook. He proceeded to draw a map. He was drawing with such accuracy and detail. I was astonished. I thought, I wonder if this guy is a cartographer. Almost finished, he stopped. He looked up at me. He pointed on the map and said, this is the place. In the van heading south on the Baja Peninsula, had a hand-drawn surf map and Sandy, and we were off on a new adventure together. The map told me to turn right at the snowman. I thought, the snowman, what the fuck? The sun was starting to set and I was worried I would miss the turn. I slowed Sandy down and looked to my right as I was supposed to take a right turn at the snowman. I had a feeling I was getting close. I kept driving and I was starting to get more and more worried about the sun. Finding new places in the dark with a hand-drawn map, not very effective. I saw a small road that cut off into the bush to the right and there were two boulders at the entrance. I just kept going. Just then I hit the brakes. I looked into the rear view mirror. I put Sandy into reverse, backed up to the entrance of the road. There were two large boulders and the smaller boulder on top of it had a round bulge on the top end. And you know what? It looked like the snowballs that make a snowman. This was it. I put Sandy into first and we started our trip down the road. I took the handwritten map. It set an hour to the coast and to the point break. It was a bumpy washboard-like road and everything in the van was really shaking and rattling. I stopped her on the side of the washboard road in some smooth grass. I got out my uh, tire gauge and proceeded to let air out of the tires until they were about 17 PSI. This would make for a much smoother ride and far less vibration on Sandy. I heard her say thank you. The sun was setting and the sky was firing with an orange that was so rich it looked like pillows of lava. The air was starting to cool and the fragrance of the still hot grass 
and the chaparral flooded my senses. A few bats flew overhead, feeding on small moths and flying insects. I took a deep breath and reveled in the moment. I pulled up to what appeared to be a cliff. I hit the brakes, put Sandy into neutral, pulled the parking brake. I got out and walked up to the end. In the light of a full moon that was directly overhead, I looked down onto the sea. I could smell the ocean as it mixed with the dry grass and plants. I smiled and noticed in the moonlight the long swells slowly coming into the point and breaking. I had made it. I got back into Sandy and proceeded to drive to a flat spot using just my parking lights. I went ahead and parked and camped for the night. I turned off the lights, turned off the engine, and sat in the seat for a moment just to listen. I went ahead and turned the passenger seat 180 degrees so it faced to the back of the van. I pushed the pop-up top into the lock position. This allowed me to stand up in my little VW camper van. I opened a cabinet, pulled out a bottle of rum, and took a plentiful swig. I set it down, and I proceeded to make myself some dinner. Dinner completed, I went for a walk in the moonlight. It was like being in a dream. I followed this trail I found that skirted the coastline cliff. I walked slowly as I sipped a full glass of wine. The smell of the grass had diminished and the ocean had grown. I could smell the kelp. I could smell the algae. I could smell the ocean. I noticed the feeling of a small stick and twigs under my sandals as I walked. The sound of the ocean changed as I walked further and further down the trail. It was beginning to get fairly cold, so I walked back to Sandy. I opened the door, took off my shoes, got in. I lit a few candles, pulled out my journal, and recorded the events and feelings that had transpired. I also wrote a short little letter to Bruce, telling him I had made it, and thank you. Just before bed, I put the hand-drawn map in the glove box. The water was chilly but not cold. I still wore my surf booties along with my lightweight full wetsuit. That was as much for warmth as it was for sun protection. I've been surfing alone for almost two hours. The water was so clear you could see your shadow on the bottom. The waves weren't big, but they were breaking into stunning, thick tubing waves that were just big enough for me to crouch into. The rides were very long, and the paddle back was a bit of a workout. The bottom was made up of large watermelon-sized smooth rocks that were dark brown and had brilliant green algae growing on them. I was getting tired, so I decided to take one more wave and go in. I had lost track on how many tubes I had gotten in. I saw a wave. I said, this is a good one to go in on. I caught it. Deep in the tube, the light started to turn a blue-green color. I was using just my hand to control my speed like a throttle. If I got going too fast, I would put more of my hand in the wave. I, I started to slow down and pulled my hand out. I came onto shore and found myself no longer alone. 
two fishermen were on shore. They greeted me with a smile and an offer to buy one of the fish they had just caught. The fish were far too large for me to eat, so I respectfully passed on the offer. You could share with someone. I said, sadly, I'm alone. Okay, they said. Toweling off after a light freshwater shower to get the salt off my body, I sat next to Sandy on my little camp stool that I found at a military surplus center. I was sipping a cold beer as my celebration. Cold beer is a real rarity for me because the amount of space it takes up in my little fridge. So this was a treat. I would eventually move to rum as the cold beer was consumed. One of the fishermen came up to me and had sort of a long look on his face. I wasn't really sure what was going on. And then it dawned on me. I realized that I was on his land, camping without permission. I stood up, put my hand up to say hello, and asked if he would like a cold beer. And he said yes. He proceeded to ask me a lot of questions. Not personal, just general. We talked on and on together. Then he told me a long story about his family, about his brother about his wife. I felt compelled to stop him and say, sorry, I have to get back to what I was doing, which was basically nothing. But I held back. I sat down and listened as he went on to tell his story. And each moment was starting to unfold like the petals of a flower. The dimension of this man's character became greater and richer as he told his stories. I learned about his fishing boats, their nets, the connection to the sea they have, and how they know when the surf comes and where it's gonna come to. He shared the knowledge of the fish and how to find them and how to cook them. I was about to give a polite recognition of his story and then move on, but instead, I stopped myself. I asked another question and I listened. He asked again why I wouldn't buy one of his fish. I said, I actually cannot eat an entire fish and I have nowhere to store it. True, he said, but you could invite people over to share the fish and learn more about the people in this small village, and you wouldn't be alone. I stopped myself. I'm naturally a bit of a loner, but instead, I asked another question, and I listened. I will admit to you, sir, I don't know how to cook such a fish. If I buy one tomorrow, will you show me how to cook it and also bring your family so I can share? His eyes lit up. Of course, of course, I'll bring tequila and my family. The coals in the fire were perfect for cooking in the dimming sunlight and the glow of the fire lit a group of people that were coming over. My new friend brought over a freshly caught fish that in my mind's eye would feed at least a dozen people. But behind him were a group of people that were pretty close to a dozen. He put the fish on a slab of wood and prepped it. I watched each movement and what he was doing. Soon it was on the fire and herbs and cooking. I looked around. I was surrounded by shy children with big eyes looking at the giant man that I was. I felt far too big. So I put a tarp on the ground and sat Indian style. The children joined me and sat there watching the fire and watching the cooking fish. I met them all. I heard their stories. I reveled in their humor and their resilience and inner strength. Most of all, I felt the love of everyone trying to make everyone's life more enjoyable. 
In the shadows, three young women were laughing and helping with the other aspects of the meal. I walked over and said, thank you for coming. <laughs> Laughter and giggles ensued, of course. I realized that my zipper on my shorts was open. I laughed and said, good thing there were no mosquitoes. That made everyone laugh. The embers glow was fading. Everyone had left. A slight wind had come in. Put some dirt on the fire to be sure. Not a single ember would blow away and start a bushfire. I opened Sandy's door. I got inside. I lit my candles. I took a moment to realize what a great meal I had had with such loving and unpretentious people. I had not laughed like that in recent memory, and I felt so full of life. I sat there, and the tears started to slowly flow out of my eyes, tears of joy and of sadness. Because I had not felt so included with a group of people, and yet I was also deeply alone. I was longing for the feeling of a person to be next to me. I took a deep breath and gently reminded myself that none of this had to happen. It just did. The wind was blowing 12 knots and holding steady. My new friend said, no surf today. I looked down his resolute sadness, looked back at him and said, indeed you are correct. He then said, can you take my niece down to the southern point? We need to get things for the village and also some supplies. I said, okay, how long will that take? He said, it's three hours there and three hours back. I was about to say something, but instead I stopped myself. I asked another question and I listened. I asked, is that an overnight trip? Yes, there's a place to park and you can come back tomorrow afternoon. I did have a lot of questions, but instead, I said nothing. When you come back, he said, we'll have another fish night. Consider it done, I said. I shook his hand. Sitting in my van, I was waiting for my friend's niece. I kept looking into the village, waiting for a nine or 10 year old to come bounding in. And you know, sometimes I've had ideas or constructs or what something will be like, and I am fucking wrong because what walked up to the van and opened the door was an absolutely gorgeous woman and um, I would be a liar if I said my heart didn't skip a beat but I had a job to do and uh, I was surprised at her English we had a conversation and you know I have a fairly good memory but I don't remember that conversation very well I remember the fragrance that was coming off of her hair. And that's all I could remember. It was a floral smell that wasn't sweet. It was dry. Well, I've never smelled that ever since. I won't forget that smell. We ended up in the village. She said, I'll be back in a few hours. I ended up walking down to the marina, just looking at boats, sailboats old boats. I always wondered about boats. Everybody always said they're so expensive, and yet some of the happiest people I've ever met live on a boat. And in my mind, a home's expensive. Like really expensive. And you kind of don't own it. You basically rent it from the bank, which was really odd to me. 
ordered a beer and a chicken quesadilla. Really love the view here. Not gonna lie, there's something about Mexico's casual pace, at least in the Baja Peninsula. The sun was starting to get lower in the sky and I was unsure on where we were gonna camp and where that camping spot was. Into my third beer, a small amount of low light anxiety struck me as I began to worry about where we would actually park. Then my friend's niece came walking up with two large bags and her backpack was full. It's quite a load she was carrying. She dropped them next to the table and sat down. She smiled. You know, it was the kind of smile that would melt a Roman legion's heart, to be honest. She ordered a margarita. I expressed my concern and worry on where would we be parking and sleep tonight, and also alerted her that there is no toilet in my little van. She smiled and said, don't worry, I have a great spot overlooking the bay, now let's order some food. With the headlights shining our way, she told me to go right and up the dirt road. Hmm, I thought. It was very narrow, and it had not seen any vehicle traffic in quite some time. I put her into gear, and up we went slowly, arcing to the right, and to where we're on this fantastic little plateau. From this plateau, we could see the bay lights and the ocean in the distance. It really was an amazing sight. I turned the lights off, and then turned Sandy off. I went into the back of the van and popped the top. Julia came to the back. I lit my little candles and put out a bottle of wine and a bottle of rum. Pick your poison, I said. She took the rum, bottle in hand, and took a real swig. Wow, that's good rum, she said. We put Julia's bags in the back and pulled some bedding out and one of the pillows clean pillowcase and a small little bag with lavender flowers in it. I crushed it a few times in my hand and put the bag of lavender into the bottom of the pillowcase and put a pillow on it. I tossed the bedding and the pillow in the overhead bed. I turned the passenger seat to face the back of the van. I set up a small table. I said, sit where you feel most comfortable. She chose the back bench seat and I took the rear facing passenger seat conversation ensued that was enjoyable and warm. It was two people connecting without pretense or performance. After a while I said, you know, I have to go pee. I'm sorry to interrupt. If you need to go, there's paper and wipes in this drawer. I got out. She actually followed. I came back and started to put her bed together. She came in and looked at me and then she said, can we sleep down here together? pointing to the back bed. I was about to say, it's a bit tight down there, but I stopped myself. I sat down and looked at her and listened. She told me it's been so long since she was sexual. And I was about to say, but I stopped myself. She said, I like you. There's no expectation here. I looked at her and said that I was unsure on how her uncle would feel about that if he found out. 
She said her uncle recommended her to come with me and to stay the night and enjoy herself. I looked in her eyes and then I blew out the candles. out from Sandy's windscreen, looking at the ocean. I took a deep breath in and then turned the key and started her up. No one was around to bid me farewell. The seas were calm and the winds were light. It was actually time to fish and not surf. As I pulled away from the village, I felt tears welling up in my eyes. This was a magical moment in my life and I fought with my emotions of loss, telling myself that while, yes, it did end, you need to celebrate that it even happened. I said an out loud goodbye to Julia and thanked her for sharing her passion and time with me. I tapped the dash and told Sandy, let's go down south and find some more swell. In my head, I heard Sandy say, okay, I'm sorry, Don. And I said, Sandy, I'm not. I'm grateful. You know, it's really interesting how our memories can change or they can fade, but then something will trigger that memory. It could be a smell, it could be an object. In this case, it was a photograph of my old VW van. And just the memories came flooding through me. And then this story came forward. It really is one of my favorite stories and life experiences I've had while traveling. I learned so much about listening and really sitting with what people were saying. I learned about slowing down. I learned about being open. And I really learned about being grateful to the generosity of people. If I had done what I normally would be doing by commanding the conversation, none of those experiences would have ever have happened. The surf, the fish, the family, the dinner, and Julia. None of it. It would have been just another contrived bucket list adventure consuming my counterfeit and contrived travel agenda. I really appreciate you joining me. And if you enjoyed this story and you enjoyed this podcast, do me a favor, share it with other people, let them know about it. I'm going to end this episode with a song that really reminds me of that whole time, that whole experience. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon.